Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live, as always, from the offices of Lives in the Balance, joined, as always, by my co-host, Susie Porton, uh, coming to us from upstate New York. Susie, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am doing fine. This is our last radio program of this broadcast season. Uh, We take June and July and August off, um, and then we'll be back again in September. Um, I know you feel terrible about that. Um, Anything that you wanted to start this final program with today? Um, Yes. Actually, on Facebook, uh, there is a fabulous infographic Um, that was posted, and it's about reframing the behavior. And it's just um, so imaginative and creative. It's adorable. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to see it. Uh, It was posted on April 28th. You know, I actually don't follow us on Facebook. I'm sorry to admit it, but... um... I don't follow us on Facebook, and so I am uh, not aware of actually what you're talking about. Facebook goes right. on without me, um, well, so I'd love to see it. Chance, yes. If, if you have a chance, um, um, it's, it's really, you'll um, love it as well. I will ask Kim to send that along to me. Okay, great. And the other thing... Something occurred to me when I was on an airplane a few weeks ago. And Dr. Green, you do a lot of flying, and you've heard the same announcement at the beginning of the flight, where passengers are told that if there's an emergency, the adults are to put on their own oxygen mask before attending to their children. This reminded me of literature I've read that spouses and significant others make sure to address each other's needs before those of the challenging child. I was wondering, what are the implications of this for collaborative and proactive solutions in kids with lagging skills and unsolved problems? Do you think, for example, it's important for parents to give priority and attend to their needs before they are able to help their challenging child? <laughs> you, you know, I've never, known, I've never known the logic of doing that, but I think... The logic is that it's going to be hard for you to help your kid if you don't help yourself first. If you run out of oxygen first and you pass out, then um, you're not going to be able to help anybody. And so um, maybe there's an analogy for collaborative and proactive solutions. Um, It's both analogous but also not analogous because, of course, when you're solving a problem collaboratively, the kids' concerns are going first because if your concerns go first – in plan B, um, the kid's going to think you're doing plan A and the kid's not going to participate. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to plan B, there's good reason to let the kid go first, 
when it comes to oxygen masks on airplanes, and believe it or not, I don't know how many times I've been on an airplane. It, it could be in the 2,000 range at this point. I've actually never seen the oxygen mask come down. I'm sure that it happens, but it's a fairly rare event. I've never seen it. I have seen conflict on airplanes. That's in the news lately, too, of course. Um, so we've been getting a bit of that lately. Um, not much uh, when those conflicts occur. I don't see a lot of uh, collaborating going on. Uh, so that's an issue on airplanes as well. But maybe the reason they have parents put the oxygen mask on first is so that they're conscious enough to do it for their kid. Maybe that's the logic behind it. Um, in CPS, the kid goes first in Plan B. But if, when it comes to saving your kid's life because uh, we've depressurized, maybe the parent should go first so that they are of use to their kid. What do you think? I think that's great. Yep. Um, there you have it. Interesting analogy. Um, Susie, we have a caller. Shall we go to our caller? Callers always take priority. We've got a bunch of email to answer today as well, but let's go to our caller now. Good? Yes, let's. Here we go. Area code 646, you are on the air. What's up today? Hi, Dr. Green. Um, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, sure thing. I, I wrote to you over the weekend because um, I had gotten some um, testing back from my son. And there's a lot of backstory that I can share, but I'll let you kind of guide me on how much you want to know. Um, okay. My son has ADD and ODD. Um, he really, um, his explosiveness really only manifests at home. Um, at school and in social situations, he's wonderful. He has just entered sixth grade at a very challenging um, independent school um, where he had also attended fourth and fifth grade. And we moved him there because we believed he needed a smaller class size and more attention. Um, he's really floundering in, in sixth grade. And the testing showed that, that if there was a categorization for uh, an executive functioning disability, he would have it. Okay. Um, the school um, doesn't, hasn't taught him the skill set, and he's not able to catch up. And so as a result, his work is going completely undone because the um, this year volume of it is just too much for him to handle. Um, he can't process the many tasks and the many steps in completing several different tough subjects. He's he has the intelligence, but he he just from he cannot plan and regulate himself um, enough to get his task done. And as a result, he is um, really starting to do very poorly in school. Um, the recommendation from the, um, the person who tested my son was that we strongly consider a junior boarding school for him. And that's really why I'm calling because that is kind of heartbreaking to us. Um, we, we want him in our house. We love him. We, you know, in spite of the fact that our home life can be um, tough because of his explosions, um, we, we just have a hard time reconciling ourselves to not solving the problem at home and getting him the help he needs and 
However, we're open to it, and we understand that it might just be what he needs. So, so really what I would like to know is, what do you think about boarding school? Is it something that you know much about, would recommend, et cetera? Well, um, obviously it's hard for me to know your total situation, but I tend to use boarding schools and residential facilities as a last resort. Um, if we can't find a school that can help him in a local area, then sometimes we can find a school that can help him, uh, that would require him sleeping away because it's not in your local area. If we can't get things squared away at home, then sometimes a fresh start in an environment that um, is better suited to a kid who has certain difficulties could make sense. Um, did you tell me that your son is in the sixth grade? Yes. So um, I can tell you that 2,000 kids later, I've never placed a sixth grader in a sleepaway school. Not that I would be allergic to the idea, just that that's young. Yeah. Bottom line is we want to make sure that your son right. We want to make sure that your son gets what he needs, but I think of out-of-home placement, uh, generally speaking, as a last resort. Um, mm -hmm. Whether this is going to be the school, you know, so it, you know that would hinge on two big things. Can you get things squared away at home so that things are better at home? Can you find a school for him that is better suited to his needs than perhaps the one he is in now? Um, those would be the two crucial variables. Um, right. Without knowing more about your situation, just hearing about it on the surface, my thought is that those are the two avenues you'd want to go down first before doing something as dramatic as having him live outside of your home. What do you think? Right. I agree with you. I completely agree with you. And I'm glad you said that because it reflects our beliefs too. Um, and uh, I think we have some homework to do. You have some homework to do. Um, there are educational consultants um, who are um, very uh, familiar with all of the schools in a particular area. Mm-hmm. So that might not be a bad investment if it's feasible, just so that you're not completely dependent on the Internet or word of mouth to try to um, find out what your options are in terms of schools. Right. When it comes to getting things squared away in your family, um, I'm seeing from your area code where you're calling from. We do have certified providers who might be able to help you out and be relatively local. Mm -hmm. um, they would be listed on the CPS Connection website, mm -hmm. which is cpsconnection.com. And um, so I think that you have good options, and given just what you're describing, um, having him live away from home seems like a fairly extreme – I wouldn't rule it out as a possibility down the road if these things don't work out – 
but um, I've never done it with a kid as young as yours. Right. Well, thank you. That's very, very helpful. I appreciate it. I'm thrilled that I got I'm to talk to you. I'm glad you called. Good. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, that's always an extremely um, difficult decision for people to make. Um, it's uh, one of the hardest. There you have it. So we turn our attention to the email. We do not have another caller, but I also haven't given the phone number yet. It's 347-994-2981. And please press 1. Let's turn our attention to the email. And we've got a bunch to get through, but we still are, would be delighted if people call in. All right, this one says, hello. I have had guardianship, now custody, of my grandson for five years. He is 10. I've been working with a therapist uh, trying to use the CPS model in therapy. Next week, she will meet with my grandson and I together. He has had trauma physical, verbal, mental abuse, and neglect in the past. He is on medication for ADHD. He is very smart and does well academically in school. But he has extreme anger, outbursts, meltdowns at school and home. My question is this. How is any of this going to work if the trauma, which is the reason for the anger, isn't addressed? His anger is caused by the hurt and distrust of adults and wanting to be in control. Well, um, I don't know if that's why he is so angry. Um, In fact, my bet is that we don't want to be insensitive to the trauma piece But we do want to, if we're going to be doing this model, make a list of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And those are going to become our explanation for why he is having anger outbursts, meltdowns at school and at home. That's not being dismissive of his trauma history. It's just saying that we may not be able to do much about the trauma history except make sure that he feels safe now. Um, make sure that he has someone to talk to about those experiences. But when it comes to the problems we're going to be solving now, um, hurt and distrust of adults, um, that's something that uh, is going to be fixed by solving problems collaboratively with him so that he can come to trust adults again. And wanting to be in control, we all want to be in control he'll find out how to make sure that his concerns are heard and addressed when he's doing plan B, but he will also learn how to hear someone else's concerns and make sure that those get addressed. Um, Once again, not being dismissive of the trauma history. That's just not what the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems is going to tell us. It's going to tell us what problems we could be solving with him now, and it's probably those very problems that are causing his extreme anger, outbursts, and meltdowns at school and at home. Susie, any thoughts on that? Um, just that the uh, collaborative and proactive solutions 
uh, helps the relationship and the child sees that you're an ally, that you're working together and you're not doing something at him or to him, that he is a part of the solution. I guess I'm just reiterating what you said. Um, and he gradually learns these lagging skills um, that you teach indirectly by, by solving the problem. Um, and of course, you, the uh, keeping a log and the and the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and the problem solving plan are are crucial to the process. Um, just to pick, you know, two or three problems, um, so and prioritize those so that you're not um, overwhelmed. There you go. Let's turn to another one. My daughter is 15 and was adopted when she was five and a half. She has been receiving therapy since that time. She is very much like some of the kids described in The Explosive Child. Are there differences or other things to take into account when implementing the plans for kids who are adopted? She's a sweet girl but has never had a friend. She makes poor choices and was out of school for three months following several hospitalizations, just looking for anything with five exclamation points after anything. Um, I get it. I don't adjust the CPS model for kids who are adopted. We still have to find out what the kids' lagging skills and unsolved problems are. Um, if some of the unsolved problems are related to the adoption, and that is possible, um, then we would want to solve those problems just like we would any other problems. So I generally speaking don't find that the model has to be adjusted dramatically for kids who have a history of adoption. The real important part is do a really, really good job of identifying lagging skills so that you have the right lenses on do a really, really good job of identifying unsolved problems so that you know what you're working on, um, and get really good at solving those problems collaboratively and proactively. And the walking tour on the Lives in the Balance website, if you haven't visited it and taken the tour already, could be of tremendous help to you in getting good at those parts of the model. As we've seen, though, with both this email and the one before, it is tempting to take some known adverse experience that has occurred in a kid's life, or many of them, and point to them as the cause of the kid's challenging behavior now. It's not that the adoption might not be related to the challenging behavior, and it's not like a trauma history couldn't be related to challenging behavior. But when it comes to what are you actually working on, what problems are you solving, safe in the knowledge that a solved problem doesn't cause challenging behavior, only unsolved problems do. What you're working on is the unsolved problems that you identify on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And once again, that's not being dismissive or about or insensitive to um, 
adverse experiences that a kid can have in life. We definitely want to be sensitive to them. But when it comes to the actual problems we're solving, those are the ones that we identify on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Susie, any thoughts on that one? Yes, I do. That the beauty of the model is that it, quote, works no matter what the child's challenges are. Um, you get good at getting to know your child, and it, you know, sounds like they're going through a really tough time, but the model gives you hope and um, and it gave me the strength to um, view my child differently and help in the way that he needed help. I do find that identifying lagging skills and unsolved problems does give us a framework if we are mostly paying attention to things about which we can do nothing about. I'm not saying you can't do anything about a kid's trauma history or anything about the fact that a kid is adopted, but if those things are not finding their way into the unsolved problems, they, there's a good chance they won't, by the way, then they aren't things that we're going to be working on when we're applying the CPS model. And in fact, I sometimes find that paying too much attention to past adverse experiences can actually be a little paralyzing because it has us looking at something that we may actually not be able to do much about. Any unsolved problems we identify in the ALSIP, those are solvable. Um, historical adverse experiences may not be solvable. They may be processable um, if this is something that's on the kid's mind, but they may not actually represent solvable unsolved problems, in which case find that in many instances people aren't exactly sure what they were working on because they're working on something that is historical. Um, so once again, just to reiterate, uh, we want to be sensitive to historical factors. We don't want to be dismissive of them. But when it comes to the problems that we're actually solving, those are the ones that we have identified on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And Dr. Green, you just reminded yep. me of another point that I just love about the model is that it does not um, pathologize the kid, that it's a family problem and you're working together to solve it. Another good feature. Here's another good question. This one says, I just finished listening to the Explosive Child audiobook, and I think it's a wonderful set of tools for dealing with a tough kid. I am the daughter and wife of psychologists. I myself am a lawyer, and I have a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter that I would describe as explosive. My challenge is how to apply the CPS model to a child as young as three-and-a-half. She doesn't always know why she is upset and can barely articulate her feelings and frustrations in words. I would greatly appreciate any tools or resources you would recommend for that age. I appreciate your feedback. Our pleasure to give it to you. Susie, I know you are going to recommend that they read The Adventures of Stretch More together. That's Am I right? right. 
Yes. Yeah, you're becoming very predictable, but of course I'm predictable <laughs> too. But I'm going to read between the lines here. First of all, um, if we have a linguistically intact three-and-a-half-year-old, she can participate in solving the problems that affect her life. Um, but reading between the lines here, she doesn't always know why she is upset The uh, and can barely uh, – hold on – doesn't always know why she is upset. We actually don't want her to know why. We don't want to know why she's upset. And we actually don't want to do plan B when she's upset. We want to do plan B proactively, not in the heat of the moment. So if that piece is a hint that we are trying to solve problems in the heat of the moment, we got to go back to the ALSIP. We've got to make our list of the unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion challenging episodes so as to set the stage to solve those problems proactively. Reading between the lines a little bit more, we're actually not looking for her to articulate her feelings. We're looking for her to articulate her concern, perspective, or point of view um, on the unsolved problem. And you are at a tremendous advantage in helping her do that in the articulation department if we're doing this proactively. So if my reading between the lines is accurate and that a meaningful amount of the problem solving is taking place in the heat of the moment, um, well, she's already upset. We're in a rush. There's added heat. And not many human beings are at their best at articulating their concern or perspective under those conditions. So we want to turn the whole thing around, make it proactive. And um, yes, the adventures of Stretchmore is going to help you, but even more than that, perhaps, the walking tour on the Lives in the Balance website might uh, be helpful as well, and it's free. And so you may want to check that out, um, a wonderful resource complete with streaming video um, and audio program to really help you feel like you are on top of this, but especially to help you do this proactively, if I'm right about that. But the fact that she's three and a half if she is a linguistically intact three-and-a-half-year-old, she is going to understand what the unsolved problem is. She's going to tell you what her concerns are. And believe it or not, unless there's something else going on with her that's going to keep her from participating in the process, she's even going to be able to work with you to come up with solutions that are realistic and mutually satisfactory. Why would we want to do that with a three-and-a-half-year-old? We want to do this as early in a kid's life as we possibly can. And I'm always saying don't sell those three-and-a-half-year-olds short. Susie, your thoughts. Um, so my son was a bit older. He was, I believe he was about nine years old at the time and very explosive. He did not have a vocabulary to express his frustration and misunderstanding that he continually felt. Um, but through hard work and patience, we indirectly taught him the lagging skills and solve problems together and the proactive piece, making an appointment with him and being proactive about it just helped tremendously. Um, and it didn't happen overnight, but very slowly the as problems were solved together, um, the meltdowns were reduced and eventually even eliminated. Is 
it's all about being proactive. It's all about collaborative. That's why we call it collaborative and proactive solutions. No other callers yet, which means people have approximately 15 minutes to get their last calls in before summer. Once again, 347-994-2981. Let's answer some more email. We've got quite a stack here. This one says, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Green and Susie, I've read The Explosive Child, and I'm making my way through the entire podcast library going to 2010, and I've found them to be extremely helpful. I've been using Plan B with my two boys, ages 9 and almost 6, one more explosive than the other, but both with lagging skills. Parenthetically here, this is my commentary. We're all lacking skills, so um, that's not surprising. However, the reason I'm writing is that I've realized that I'm an explosive an adult who tends to lose it under certain specific conditions with my kids. One incident occurred last night when my wife and I returned from a much-needed date night fairly late. The younger, less explosive boy insisted on watching additional TV after we returned, even though it was after 10 p.m., and I agreed as long as he didn't leave the room and interact with his brother, which he then proceeded to do. After my wife and I separated them, I was intent on getting my younger son to bed, so when he still insisted on watching TV, I went into plan A mode, telling him it was time for bed, and when he started to explode, I got angry in return, yelling, getting physical, and taking the iPad on which he watches TV at night from his room. It's pretty clear to me that my lagging skill is a lack of flexibility, and that conditions under which this leads to my explosion last night where it was late and I felt my child had broken the agreement. So is it possible to conduct a plan beyond myself? How would I go about doing this to try to address the unsolved problem of exploding at my child under these conditions? Thank you so much for any thoughts you have and for all of the support you've provided to me and others. First of all, thank you for thanking us. And now, let's get down to this. Um, you know, looks to me like you got surprised by the unsolved problem. The unsolved problem that you're stating in your message is um, exploding at your child under uh, situations requiring flexibility on your part. That's going to be a very global, vague, what I call clumped, unsolved problem. So we can't really run with that. But let's say that the shoe was on the other foot. You have two explosive kids. My advice to you on what would you do to help them explode less would be to solve the problems that are causing their explosions. And my advice to you would be no different. Um, it is very common for adults who are trying to do plan B with their explosive kid to be lacking some skills as well. And those skills are going to be taught by the same mechanism that the kid is going to learn skills, by solving problems collaboratively and proactively. Now, do I have research um, that says that? We have research telling us that the kids are learning skills. We do not yet have research on whether the adults are learning skills. So this is purely anecdotal, but... Um, I'm not exactly sure why we would think that the kid is not that the adult is not going to be learning the very same skills by going through the process as the kid is learning. Um, the more proactive Plan B you do, the more easy it is. That's not a real way to say it. The easier it is for you to learn the skills yourself along with your kid. 
Um, if you get surprised, and you know, as you're learning skills, surprises are still going to occur. Although, once again, the ALSIP is going to come in handy here because nobody is at their best in the heat of the moment. Nobody. And it sounds like you would be included in that. It's just that some people handle the heat of the moment a little bit better than others, but nobody is at their best in the heat of the moment. We want you learning skills in Plan B as well. And the more you do Plan B collaboratively and proactively, the proactively part is crucial, the more you're likely to pick up on those skills as well. So now here comes the big question. What do we do about surprises? Um, here's the hope. The hope is that by using the ALSIP and by knocking off one unsolved problem at a time, there are actually very few surprises left. But I think that it might be important for you and your wife to come to an agreement on what to do about surprises. You're not the lone ranger here. You don't have to feel alone in this. Uh, sounds like your wife could be helpful in the heat of the moment if that's a scenario in which you struggle. But the ultimate idea here is for there to be almost no surprises left. And even if those surprises do come up, and they should be rare if you're using the ALSIP, even if you should happen to be surprised, those skills that you're learning by doing Plan B proactively should help you out emergently. At least that's my experience. Susie, what are your thoughts on that? Well, this whole thing about CPS was that it did teach me the skills that I was lagging behind in, um, and skills that I needed to be the kind of parent that I wanted to be flexibility, adaptability, problem solving, and frustration tolerance. And you need those skills with children, but especially with a challenging child. Um, collaborative and proactive solutions helps you view the child differently as a, this is a learning disability, so to speak. You wouldn't punish the child if, if the child couldn't read. You'd figure out the problem together and get them the help they need. And it's the same with this. Um, it's a wonderful learning opportunity uh, to help you grow as a person. Um, CPS helps you understand all human beings better. Uh, it's a skill, and practice makes perfect. Um, and it takes time to get good at We wish this dad the best of luck, and we appreciate him writing in. Here's another email. We have two left, probably enough time to do both. Let's see. This one says, hi, we have a seven-year-old son with an autism spectrum disorder. He's having a challenging year at school this year. I'm trying to make the case to the IEP team that we should try the CPS approach versus traditional discipline methods. We recently had a failed venture into applied behavior analysis. The board-certified behavior analyst restrained our son in their school pro after-school program for five to 15 minutes. We have never had to restrain him, and neither had his school. The school reports only one time that he had to be taken out of the classroom, just to the hallway, not the seclusion room, for a period of five to eight minutes over the last several years. Otherwise, it is typically less than three minutes, and he calms down and goes back to work without a grudge. Uh, he is bright, 
an IQ of 117, but has a processing delay according to recent testing. The school is starting to ask if he should miss recess as a consequence for certain behaviors. I've watched several of your videos and believe your approach might be better. I was going to send the team one of your journal articles, but I noticed your criteria excluded those with autism spectrum disorders. I would like to know why and if you think CPS can help those with ASD. The behaviors we're trying to help him with are getting upset and frustrated, acting out occasionally has kicked his para while upset. The school has explicitly stated he isn't a behavior problem and is one of the easiest kids to deal with. We need help moving the team to a model which will work for him, give him the most autonomy possible, teach him the steps to control his emotions, and allow him to grow. We feel the restraint was a very big negative reinforcer and are seeking more positive interventions. Well, sorry that your son was restrained. Doesn't sound like anybody else has felt need to do this, so hopefully this is what we might call in statistics an outlier. Um, the reason we left kids with autism spectrum disorders out of the studies that have been done so far is because we were studying oppositional defiant disorder and the criteria for the study was kids who did not have autism spectrum disorders. I would love to do a new study just on kids with autism spectrum disorders. I think it would show what my anecdotal experience tells me, and that is that uh, for many kids, especially at what is sometimes known as the higher and middle end of the autism spectrum, CPS is extraordinarily effective. Um, I'm not exactly sure why we would think it wouldn't be. Um, I think it is just as feasible to include kids on the autism spectrum in solving the problems that are affecting their lives than it is with any other child. Um, and so I can't think of anything that autism spectrum disorder would make impossible about doing CPS with a kid who has been so diagnosed. The kids who are at the so-called lower end of the autism spectrum often have language processing and communication skill difficulties that require that we not do plan B through linguistic give and take as we usually do, but rather use pictures or assistive technologies to communicate about uh, unsolved problems and concerns and potential solutions. But beyond that, um, I'm having trouble thinking of any reason that we would want to leave a kid diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder out of the loop on solving the problems that affect their lives. Some of them, it's going to take a while for them to get there in terms of full participation, but um, the whole idea is to work on the things that need to be worked on so a kid can participate. Given that your son has an IQ of 117, not knowing anything else about him, but it sounds like he is bright, as you described, um, the other, only other thing I'd want to watch out for with him is the processing disorder that you described um, in your email, and one thing's for certain, neither a restraint nor missing, resource, nor missing recess is going to solve the problems that are causing your sons getting upset and frustrated, acting out, and occasionally kicking his para. Once the problems that are causing those behaviors are solved, He's not going to be doing that stuff anymore. Susie, any thoughts? Uh, yes, to just please don't take away recess, like you said, and to indirectly 
teach lagging skills by solving problems together uh, proactively. Um, also, to get copies of your book, Lost at School or Lost and Found, or even on the web, on Lies in the Balance website, five ways. There's an article that you wrote, Five Ways to Improve School for Behaviorally Challenging Students, um, is, is a wonderful way to inform schools that there's a different way to go about helping their child. And there you have it. And the bad news is I don't think we have time to answer the last email in the queue today. So um, any final thoughts before we call it a year and uh, talk about what things could look like for next year? Go ahead. Yes, that this is a great time to reconnect with your kids and use this time to start implementing collaborative and proactive solutions or work on it if you already have. That summer is a good time to be proactive with teachers and guidance counselors and explain who your child is and about how CPS is helping your child. Remember, children don't choose to be challenging. On that note, we're going to call it a year. Thanks to all of those of you who have participated in the program, either by calling in or by writing us an email or just by listening in. And um, the program will be back again in September. Susie, thank you as always for participating. My pleasure as always. Thank you for doing the program. We hope you all have a good summer. Take care, everybody. Yeah.